Hey everyone, I'm back. Um, as you notice, this episode doesn't really have an introduction. We started out with the usual little jingle that happens after the introduction, but um, this episode is a little different. As you guys probably noticed, uh, I disappeared at really at the end of October. And uh, now as I'm recording this, it is actually the beginning of February. Uh, I'm going to do some explaining here as to where I've been. And it's going to be very open, very honest. And it's going to be a little emotional for me. So this is going to be a little bit raw. We're still going to talk a little bit about real estate. Uh, but this is definitely more of a personal episode. I've kind of alluded to it a little bit in the past, uh, now at this point, like 18 months or so, that my mom was going through some some health issues, and uh, I was hyper-focused on that for a considerable amount of time, and that was why in 2022 the podcast got a little unpredictable and uh, at times kind of shuttered down, things like that. And uh, October 31st, we got, we got the news that mom was going to die. Um, so on November 15th, uh, we did, in fact, lose her. She had been battling dementia since April of 2022. So her journey was very, very quick. And, um, in some ways, I guess I'm not a person that believes she's in a better place or any of that. But what I will say is that I guess if you're given that card in life, maybe if it is going to happen quick, the, um, mental downgrade and sort of the physical downgrade that goes with dementia, maybe to a certain extent, if you are a believer in God in the afterlife, maybe it is better that you transition over to the other side quicker. So for dementia, most people, um, the average person can live with dementia for many, many years. We're talking over a decade easily. Uh, that just was not, was not in the cards for mom. And when she first got diagnosed in April of 2022, I actually spent a lot of time delving into medical journals and, uh, sort of not quite alternative therapies in the sense of like aromatherapy and that kind of stuff or like holistic, but sort of cutting edge treatments, let's call it, uh, like hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, that was something that for my mom's particular form of dementia, which was microvascular dementia, was something that was proven to help with that particular type. Uh, unfortunately, I think by the time mom got diagnosed, thanks to, uh, the pandemic and everything, it was just too far gone. But, uh, so anyway, um, really for, uh, the time from her diagnosis until when we finally had to put her for a second time in a memory care home and then kind of stop any sort of alternative therapies and stuff like that. Um, I really was my mom's biggest champion caretaker. Uh, and she really did consume 
a lot of my time because I would take her to these hyperbaric oxygen appointments. They were, for me, going to pick her up was 40 minutes and then it was 30 minutes, 40 minutes into the location from her place where the appointments were. The appointments would take like an hour and 15 minutes while we were there, take her home, drive myself back home. Uh, so, and I did that uh, two to three times a week. Uh, so it was very, very time consuming for me. And I did all of this because my mom, my mom was really, truly my best friend. Like when I try to explain my bond with my mom, the best thing I can say is that in many ways, she was sort of a spouse for me. And I don't mean that in any sort of weird, like pull out a psychologist sort of situation. I mean, I cared for my mom like she was my spouse and she did a lot of caring for me. When I was nine years old, my mom was diagnosed with metastatic inflammatory breast cancer, which in the nineties at any stage beyond stage two was a death sentence. My mom fought tooth and nail to survive that. And of course she did. Um, but as a nine-year-old, that was a very jarring and uh, sort of traumatic experience. And I didn't even realize it until, until she had died, how much that single event sort of set the course of the rest of my life. My mom became the person that, because I knew what it was like to have a friendship and a parent, something that most people don't realize until their parents themselves and their kids are driving them up a wall. Uh, you know, me and my brother, who were both younger when this happened, we learned that lesson early on, which meant that for me growing up, I wanted to spend time with my mom. I never went through that stage where it wasn't cool to hang out with my mom or I didn't want to do things with her. If there was a movie I wanted to go see, the first person I thought of was my mom. Um, I would stay home on weekends to spend time with her. I would go to like real estate networking events and business networking events because I got the opportunity to spend time with my mom then. And, you know, part of that is because my mom and I got along so well. So it's not like I was clinging to someone who I didn't get along well with. My mom and I got along extremely well. Just we were amazing partners in crime and we had a lot of fun together. But really, like my whole path in life was set by that event of her getting breast cancer and having that traumatic experience. And it also set into motion why I'm involved in real estate at the level I am, being involved in different organizations and being chairman of the state, Wisconsin Real Estate Investors Association. Like all of that was put into place as sort of like a domino effect from this cancer diagnosis from my mom. So I would, I would go to these networking events with her. I would go and work with her on the rental properties that they owned. Like we would clean vacant apartments together. We would paint stuff at places together. Uh, I remember just getting in the car with her and maybe going to the place that they had their investments and running errands and all this stuff. And I would help her in the home office running the rentals. I would do like filing and I would do like collating and things like that when I was younger. And 
So it really did kind of further my involvement in real estate at that young age because it gave me the opportunity to spend that time with my mom. As I transitioned into adulthood and things like that, my college choice really, truly, when it came down to it, was based on two factors. Um, the first, I had just recently become an aunt for the first time. But then also, I wanted to be close to my mom. So even though I had the opportunity to go to really good schools on the East Coast, and I was accepted to them, I didn't do it because it would be taking time away from my mom. And now as as an adult, as a fully functioning adult in my own life, in my own world, my mom continued to be a huge part of my life. Uh, when I was first starting up my, my company, she did a lot of marketing material for me. She helped a lot with the accounting because she was an accountant. Well, she was a bookkeeper, but she had an accounting degree and she just had this amazing ability for things like bankrupts, balance sheets, things like that. And so she helped me a lot with not only the property management business, but then also when my brother and I started to own rentals as well. And even just, you know, a, a, a year before she got her dementia diagnosis in her early seventies, she would pick up a paintbrush with me and go out and paint my, my 1850s painted lady Victorian home, the front porch. And she was there painting the front porch with me. And so my mom is very much been a integral part of my life. She's been sort of like my driving force, my bloodline, and just not the like genetic sense. And she really was a, the why for me. So Simon Sinek talks about what's your why. Well, for 30 some years, my mom, my mom has been my why. So when that started to disappear, it was hard. And now that everything, now that everything is done, that she's, she has died. Um, she's, she's been buried. We said goodbye to her. It's almost the harder part of this. So really for the past three three months, it's been extremely hard on me. Um, there's been very big bouts of depression and, um, it's been the hardest part of my life. Like when I look back on when I had cancer, cause, cause I had cancer myself. So when I was, when I was 26, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, when I was diagnosed with that and I was going through that, that wasn't anywhere near as hard as what this is right now. So in many ways, um, this is something that I wasn't really prepared for. And honestly, to kind of like make a double whammy about this. Um, so we, we said goodbye to my mom on November 15th. And then, um, we actually ended up waiting about a month to actually have the funeral and everything. And then actually just, um, just about a week and a half ago, uh, I was, I was present with my dad when his last brother died. Uh, we were, we were at his home and we were sitting bedside and we had arrived to make a visit 
thinking it was going to be our last visit to him. But when we had arrived, uh, his his wife, my aunt Lori, had informed us that that was going to be his his last day on Earth. So my dad and I stuck around, and we sat there with my family and was there until my uncle was no more. So it's kind of been a double whammy. It's been very hard on me. And I think with it happening around the holidays, make it made it even harder, harder as well. I think everyone's first holidays without a loved one are difficult, but I think when you're fresh with it, it kind of makes it even harder. And one thing that's kind of unique about the situation is that even though like my mom was put in a home for the last portion of of her life, kind of the timing of it, having her in one home and then realizing it wasn't a good, it was a very, very bad institution. So we brought her home and then placing her in a, another one, her final one. She was actually home with us for the holidays. So she was, she was home with us for Thanksgiving. She was home with us for Christmas of, uh, that would have been 2022. So 2023 was actually our first holidays without her for me for 40 years and so on and so forth. So it's been really, really difficult. And, um, the best thing I can say to anybody going through this is that you have to give yourself grace. If you're an entrepreneur and you're going through this, it's kind of a double-edged sword because on on one level, when you have these strong waves of emotion, you have the ability to put things on hold and say, not right now, I need to go ride out this wave of emotion and you don't have anyone else to answer to. But yet on the flip side of that, you don't have somebody telling you they have to be in a building at nine o'clock in the morning or you're not gonna get paid. You don't have anybody telling you physically you need to have this done by XYZ date or this time. And that can be a problem when you do find yourself deep in the shallows of a grief like this. Because on one level, if I wasn't an entrepreneur and I was forced to go into a building at a certain time in the day, that would get me out of bed, that would get me to work earlier. It would, you know, do certain things just as sort of like a domino effect. But being the entrepreneur and especially being one that now entirely works basically from home or more or less remotely where I can go to the library or I can go to a coffee shop or whatever, there's nobody expecting me to show up in a building at a certain time. And that really has been sort of the double-edged sword of this experience as an entrepreneur. And for me, in this stage that I'm at, I mean, I'm not going to say if it was a good or bad thing, but it certainly was just this double-edged sword where, for the most part, I think it's been the hinge factor of how I've been able to process this and move through it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm extremely grateful for being an entrepreneur because from October 31st until November 15th, I spent 11, 12, 14 hours by my mom's bedside, just absorbing all of that time with her. And 
certainly if I had had a traditional job, I probably would not have had that amount of flexibility. Sure, I probably could have had some flexibility where I could have gone every day for four hours or three hours or stuff like that, but I truly had the ability to go and do that and not explain it to anybody, not answer to anyone. Maybe a few clients here and there because I would just I changed how things were run. I wouldn't take phone calls. I wouldn't take texts. I'd be like, hey, this has got to run through my email because I've got to I've got to make sure my my assistant is tracking stuff for me because right now my mind's all over the place. But when I was sitting bedside, I didn't have anybody that I was accountable to in the sense of like, well, I can't have you there for that long. So that really was a blessing. And that's not anything I would change ever. But as I've gone through December and January... It's been very, very hard. And it was only recently, I would say the past week or so, that I kind of started to try to get back into the swing of things. But I am nowhere near done with this journey. Um, I'm going to be grieving my mom for a very long time. And I'm going to be re rebuilding my life for a very long time. Because I need to figure out what my new why is. I need to figure out what I'm going to care for now. I need to figure out in sort of this metaphysical idea of like, this is another one of those like transitioning moments in your life where we we talk about these events that happen where you get married you have a kid you get divorced like these are these titular moments that kind of pivot your life in different directions and for me I would say next to having my own kid this would be the number one like hinging moment titular moment pivoting moment where things are going to change drastically and part of that is having, honestly, the brainwaves and the motivation and the energy to start forging that new path, which I haven't had at all. And I'm just now trying to pull myself out of that and develop that new direction, find that new purpose, and rebuild my life. So... What does that mean for this podcast? Well, I am back. I am back where I was trying. I know I've said this a couple times and now kind of it's all out there as to why the podcast was kind of like up and down, up and down. I hope you guys all understand. Honestly, I'm back with the podcast. I do want to start doing more regular episodes. I have ideas for episodes. And because I don't really edit these, they're very sort of off the cuff and things like that. There's not a lot of, there's a little bit of work that goes into these guys, I'll be honest. Like it's more writing the script, but there's not a lot of backside of it, like editing, adjusting, you know, volume and mixers, things like that. I don't do any of that. This is just completely raw podcast. So in that way, it's a little bit easier for me to kind of like get back in the groove of this, but um, I'm still not going to sit here and say it's going to be consistent. 
because like I said, this is going to be a journey. It's going to be a path. Uh, I do want to go ahead and post an episode that I had 99% done before we got the news about my mom. So I'm going to go ahead and post that. I don't think it's fully finished, but I'm really not going to go back and rehash it. it. It might be like two minutes, a little bit off in the sense of an ending or anything like that. But you know what? I'm just going to roll with it, guys. I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to post it. And we're just going to move forward. So that is where I've been. Um, I'm going to be very honest with my journey on this podcast. So now at this point, I think you're going to see maybe a little bit of spattering of maybe like mental health entrepreneurship on here, but it's still going to be a real estate podcast. Please understand, guys, this is not I'm not pivoting the podcast. I'm not doing anything like that. But part of this podcast is is telling my story and in a way, telling my story is also telling my mom's story. And I can't end this podcast without saying that my mom was a huge part of how my dad built his real estate empire. Like she kept the home fires burning. She really took a strong role in raising us kids so that our dad could truly focus on building the real estate and being the one who was like out there in the field a lot. My mom helped him, yes, certainly, but she, once we came along, she was very focused on us so that dad could go and build that. And she was a very integral part of what he did, even in the bookkeeping and things like that. My dad said numerous times that there's no way he could have built it all without the accounting mind that my mom had. But before I end this podcast and kind of say, I'm sorry, but I know you guys understand. I want to tell you my favorite story of my mom and when she was dating my dad. So my dad went to my mom's house to pick her up for a school dance. This is back in the early 1960s. Well, probably like more mid-1960s. We're talking like 64, 65. And my... So my dad's dad, my grandpa, as many of you know, he was a real estate investor. He owned rental properties. And when my dad left his house, my grandma had said to my dad, hey, before you take Ruth to the dance, could you stop by the rental property and see if your dad needs anything? Because he was dealing with a sewer situation at that rental property. So my dad goes over to my mom's house, picks her up and says, hey, I've got to stop by my dad's rental. He's going through something right now over there with a repair. My mom wants to see if I need to pick up anything just to make it easier on him. So my mom and my dad arrive at the rental on their way to the school dance. And my grandpa's in the basement of this rental and the basement is just full of sewage. And my grandpa is standing there in these waiter boots, like fishermen's waiter's boots, and he's trying to deal with the sewage that's in there. My mom is standing like at the top of the stairs and my dad kind of like went towards the bottom of the stairs, but not actually into the sewage at all. And there was a conversation between my grandpa and my dad and my dad came up the stairs. He said, hey, I've got to run back home. I got to get a few things from the garage for my dad. You can stay here or you can come with me. And mom said, oh, well, I'll stay here and keep your dad company. My dad, when he left expected that mom would be at the top of the stairs or towards the bottom of it, just like talking to grandpa, keeping him company. But when dad arrived back with the tools that grandpa needed, 
my mom had her dress hitched up to her knees. It was tied with some rope and she was in waders herself and she was in the sewage with my grandpa holding a hose while he was trying to extract some stuff out. And my dad was absolutely flabbergasted at this. He had only been dating my mom for about six months, he said. And this was sort of their first big thing that they had done together because when my mom and dad first started dating, he was actually in the hospital with a broken leg. <laughs> so this was their first big outing. And here she was in his dad's basement of a rental, which was full of sewage, her homecoming dress or whatever, hiked up to her knees, tied with a rope that was something grandpa had in the back of his car. She was in waders in sewage, helping him clean out the basement. And uh, when they got things kind of situated with grandpa and stuff, like grandpa's like, okay, you guys can go to the dance, go to the dance. And Ruth was like, my mom, she's like, you sure? Cause we can chase, we, you know, we can stay here. And Grandpa's like, no, you kids, you go, you have fun. You go to your dance. And my mom went up the stairs and she was way in the hallway. And my grandpa said to my dad, don't let that one get away. She's a keeper. And he did. He did. He kept her. And there were two times in their career as rental investors that they actually kind of repeated that entire situation. Uh, there was a time that one of their own rentals had uh, sewage in the basement and mom and both dad were dressed for more formal occasions and they got down there, they got dirty. They tied up their you know formal wear in some way and they were there in fishermen's waders and they were taking care of the taking care of the sewage and <laughs> they would always chuckle just sort of remembering that original instance of the homecoming dance together and how both dad and grandpa were just entirely shocked at mom in full formal wear saying well this guy needs help i'm gonna go down and help him out and get myself dirty. <laughs> so, <sighs> all right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this. I mean, it really does truly mean a lot to me uh, that you're listening to my mom's story and my story. So it's good to be back. I will be around, but I'd ask for just a little bit more grace as I'm going through this. Thanks guys. I'll talk to you next time. Building a real estate portfolio is as much about buying properties as being a de facto entrepreneur. I'm Karina Ufinger. I'm a multi-property investor, rental management company CEO, and also a landlord coach. I'm going to show you the systems and knowledge you need to thrive as a real estate entrepreneur. From your first property purchase to building a portfolio of passive income where you work less than five hours a week, you'll learn the essential information and skills to build a profitable portfolio and live the life you truly want. Whether you are well on your journey or just starting out, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Landlord Chick Podcast.